You're listening to the Fervent Church Podcast, a church in the Austin area who exists so that people may know Jesus. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged, challenged, and strengthened in your relationship with Jesus today. For more teachings, information, or to support our ministry, please visit fervent.church. We pray you're blessed by the message. So Lord, again, we just come here, we are thankful that we can come here to worship you and we can come hear your word and we can share your word in a public place. Lord, we pray that you'd be here, that you would speak to us. Lord, give us knowledge, wisdom, understanding of what your scripture is and what it, what it means to us and in, in our life, God. And we pray, Lord, just for life change and transformation that you would transform us into the people you want us to be. Uh, so have your way here. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the title of tonight's message, if you guys take notes at all, is Jesus Goes to Church and Jesus Comes Home. Very simple. Jesus goes to church and Jesus comes home. And I want to start by asking you this question. And so this isn't just a question to just kind of brush off, but I really want you to think about it, is why do you come to church? Why do you come to church? All right, just think about that for a minute. It's like maybe in the back of your head, you're like, well, I've always gone to church. I mean, as a kid, my parents took me to church and now I'm an adult and I have a family, so I go to church. Maybe that's why, and, and that's not a bad answer, but I just want you to think, why do you go to church? And the next question is this, is going to church important to you? All right, it might seem like an odd question, maybe an obvious one as a pastor asking you this. You would be like, well, yeah, that's the right answer. It's important. But I want to ask you again, just think about it for yourself. Make it personal. Is going to church important to you? In this day and age, we live in a very interesting day and age. I mean, just this last year has changed everything for everyone and the way just life is done. Um, but we live in a day and age where... Um, going to church physically can be seen as not important. And I mean, there can be Christians who will say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a full-blown Christian, I believe, I've repented of my, my old ways, but they'll say and maybe even think that church going in person is not very important. Sure, getting a good teaching is important, right? Getting some good worship music and getting some prayer, those things are good, but this day and age, the difficult problem that we face is both a blessing and a curse, and it's called technology. See, technology can be our greatest tool where we can become a fisher of men like Jesus talked about last week where we're bringing people in. But technology can also be a curse because people are like, well, I don't need to go to church because I'll just tune in and I'll watch John MacArthur online. Like, I don't need to go to the fervent church tonight because I can tune in and watch Robert Furrow in Tucson, Arizona. We can watch some of the greatest teachers and preachers of all time. And not to mention we can tune in and live stream some of the greatest worship leaders of all time in this day and age. So where it's a question that we really need to take to heart. And it's like, well, is going to church important to us? Is it important to you? Because um, again, this day and age, we have everything available at our fingertips. So just asking you that question again, is going to church important? And I want you to know tonight that if you, if you don't already know this, and if you don't catch my drift, is I believe that it is important, but we really need to understand church is important because it's relational. It's intended to be relational. We're going to see this in the text tonight a little bit as Jesus goes to church, but it's intended to be relational 
building our relationship with God first and foremost. We come to church to worship God, to hear from God, to offer our offerings um, to God, our sacrifices, even like in the Old Testament. We come to have a relationship with God. But then the second thing is we come to have a relationship with each other. The Bible talks about fellowship. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not forsake the gathering of one another, as is the habit of some. Um, But he says, as the day draws near, like more and more you need to get together and encourage each other. In this day and age, we see such a big push against the church. Um, And is it essential or not? Is it a good thing to be open or should we be closed? Things like that. It's like we have to understand the Bible has said, like, don't forsake this. What we got going on right now, this is a good thing. Um, So there's secondly is our relationship with each other, other believers. And then thirdly, I would say the church is supposed to be relational with the community. Like the church should be involved in community in the city and it should be a light to the world. We see just in America, the reason why churches are tax exempt and stuff is because like early on in the start of America, churches were the people who would actually take care of of people in need like you need something you go to church like quite literally you're broke you need help with the bill they have a benevolence program you need some food you'd go there they'd have a food pantry the church was looked at like that and so the the church should be relational with god with each other and the community and again don't don't get me wrong that technology is is a all a curse but i believe it is a tool that we should use to bring people into relationship relationship with god others and the community. Um, I want to say this is that very simply church is essential. I think if you, I don't know, this is one of the points you should take home tonight, just knowing this, that church is essential. Of course, we live in a day and age with the pandemic going on where, where it's like, well, what's essential, what's allowed to be open or not. Um, but the church is definitely essential. Thankfully, our president, Donald Trump, he, he said that church is essential. But I want to tell you this, that even if he said that it wasn't, that doesn't mean that it's not. Like, do you understand that? It's like even, and I believe we're coming to a day and age where we're going to have a crossroad where it's like, are we going to have church um, because we're going to worship God because of who God is? Or are we going to, to bow down to the laws of men who say, well, you can't have church because that's not loving your neighbor. Right, one of my a mentor of mine, he is a pastor, a church planter about 20 years ago, and he told me that he has this um, unique division inside his church among believers, where some half of the church is like, I think it's incredibly wrong and unloving of you to open your doors and to, to let people in because of COVID-19. But then you have the other half who's like, I think it's so wrong that you close your doors and we don't have worship service, right? So you have this unique divide. But anyways, I want you to understand that church is essential. It's essential. And um, I will say that i sure there might be high-risk people and maybe and they should stay home if they're, they're scared or whatever. Um, but I, if I know anything about the Bible and church, it's like if, in a time when the world is hurting in need, they're hopeless, they're fearful, like that, that should be the time that churches are opening the door the most, if you ask me. Um, we're the light of the world. Jesus said that we are the light of the world, that you don't hide a light under a basket, like you, you let it on a hill so it can shine bright for all to see. And so anyways, church is essential, church is relational, um, and I just want to start off with that. And that's why I asked you that question. Like, is church important to you? Why do you go to church? Start thinking about that because in tonight's, tonight's text, we're going to see Jesus go to church. Um, 
And uh, it's, it's a really, I think it's an interesting text. So let's check it out. Mark chapter 1, verse 21 is where we will pick things up. And it says this, and it says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And so let's pause there for a minute because there's some things to note. If you weren't here last week or if you just kind of forgot what we talked about last week, Jesus is along the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and Andrew, right? The, the text says that he sees them. And the whole point that we made is like, before you see Jesus, Jesus sees you. He sees you right where you're at. He knows what you're going through. And he knows what he has for you. He knows what he has in store. And so he sees Simon and Andrew. They're out fishing because they were fishermen. That's what they did. Just normal, average jobs. And maybe even, I, I was thinking about this week, I was like, maybe fishing back then, because you go back to like 2,000 years ago, like, that's probably a good booming business. You guys ever watch that show, like where they, what's it, where they catch the like king crab? What's that show? Uh, Deadliest Catch. It's like those dudes make a lot of money, but it's because like they're risking their life like out in the ocean and the craziness and stuff. So I was thinking, I was like, maybe back then, maybe uh, Simon and Andrew um, and James and John, maybe they had a really good gig and they had this company, right? I don't know. I was just thinking, this is totally just my thoughts. I get a little too into scripture sometimes. I'm like, it's just interesting. So then Jesus sees them, right? They have this company, this business, doing what they're doing. They're making a living for themselves. And he says, hey guys, uh, essentially like, just come follow me. And then it says immediately they dropped their nets and they went and followed Jesus. And so it's like we saw that call to abandon yourself. It's like when Jesus calls, it's not a, well, let me get some things in order. Let me get a little more money in the bank. Let me figure this out and that out. It's like, no, we need to make a decision today. Jesus does say, in one, one account, he says, count the cost. So I wouldn't say make an impulse decision where we don't think about it, but Jesus wants you to make a calculated decision. It's like, are you for me or are you against me? So he calls the disciples, and then he goes on. He calls uh, James and John, their brothers as well, and it says, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So that's where I get this idea where it's like, it's probably their business back then. Um, so Jesus just called them to follow him, to be, their, to be his disciples. Um, and then that's what we see is when we jump into it. It's like, and they went into Capernaum. First off, again, we think about who is they. Well, it's Jesus, Peter, or Simon, as the text says, Andrew, James, and John. So the five of them, Jesus and the fishermen, who he said, hey, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And here tonight, what we see is the start of that where he's like, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then like, this is the next episode where he's like, okay, scene one, uh, lesson number one, we're going to go into the world. Like, we want to reach the world, we got to go to the world. And so that's what Jesus takes them to. He takes them to Capernaum. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, where Capernaum was really, it's just a worldly city, if we want to just classify it that way. It wasn't characterized by the Bible as some faith-filled um, place. It was actually Jesus, I think, in... Um, Matthew 11, he says that if the works done in, in you, Capernaum, were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, he said it would have been better for Sodom than it is for you. Like essentially, he's like, you're worse than Sodom, the city that I rained down fire and sulfur and I burned up and destroyed, right? And that's a crazy, harsh statement there. And so, but that's the place that Jesus takes them. But for, follow me, guys. I'm going to make you fishers of men. It's like, all right, Jesus, where we're we going? Well, we're going. We're going to Austin, Texas. 
We're going, we're going to the downtown. We're going to go to a place where there's some problems, where there's some people who are definitely not living the life that Jesus has called them to live, right? And I'm not saying everybody in Austin, Texas is living that way, but I would say the majority is. Some people we talked to before moving out, they said people moved to Austin to get away from the Bible Belt Christianity of Dallas or maybe Houston or other places. So they come here to kind of escape the Christianity that they've grown up in because they want to make a decision for themselves. And I will commend them to make a decision for themselves, but I think we got we to gotta choose the truth of Jesus. So Jesus takes them to a worldly city, um, and then he takes them to church in a worldly city. Is it up there still? Yeah. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath... He entered the synagogue and was teaching. That's Jesus. So synagogue back then is just a Jewish church, is what we could say. It's a Jewish church, and so he takes them into the world, and he goes to a church in the world. All right, And we can look at this two ways. There's one, the optimistic way, where we're like, oh, like even in the midst of darkness, there's, there's hope. Even in the midst of the dark city of Capernaum and their sinful ways, there's a church. And yes, I believe we could look at it that way, but I, the way I look at it, more realistically, I think, or pessimistically, I don't know what you want to call it, um, is that even worldly places have churches. And what I mean by that is like even the world has their own version of church. Okay, and I think this is where we need to understand. It's like there's so many churches out here and out, just out in the world in general. And I need, to, I need you to know that not every church is a good church. Just because it says church on their sign outside doesn't mean like, okay, I'm going to believe whatever you say. It's like you guys have to take into account, even for me, it's like anything that I'm saying, you guys need to be filtering this through the Holy Spirit and God's Word. It's like, is this the truth? What is the truth and what does that mean for my life? Don't just believe my word because I said it and it says church out there. Believe it because it's true. And so we have a worldly church, again, is what I believe. Jesus takes them to this worldly church. And again, we need to understand this, is that not all churches are good churches. They're not all teaching the truth. What I've seen personally in just America is that there's so many churches, and they, they seem like great churches, right? And you guys have probably been to them or seen some of them online or something. But they're ter- churches that just teach what the world wants to hear. Well, God wants to bless you. He wants you to be wealthy and healthy. And while those aren't necessarily bad things, and I could even argue some of that stuff from Scripture, that's not the full truth. And so what we see a lot of times is people will tell a little half-truth where it's like God wants to bless you, you know, and it talk goes, throws it back to Genesis chapter 12 and where God's like, I'm going to bless everyone of your offspring. Right? We could, again, we can argue that from Scripture, but then they leave out the part where it says we need to repent of our sins and believe and we will be saved. And so there's a lot of churches, they don't want to talk about sin. They water down the gospel a little bit. And they're like, yeah, God wants to bless you, but they don't tell you what it's going to actually cost you or what it should cost you. And they shy away from hard topics. They shy away from just the truth in general. And so Jesus goes, takes them to church. Um, one thing to note here as well, you guys look at that, it's like, well, wait, Jesus just showed up at church one day and he taught. Right? Jesus was the guest preacher, teacher here. He said he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And so that's, this isn't normal today, right? You don't come to the fervent church like, hey, how's it going? This is my first time ever here. And by the way, can I teach today? Right? It's like, I would be like, you know, I'm glad you're here. 
I'm, I'm glad, but no, no, you can't teach today. All right, it's like that just doesn't happen nowadays. But back in Jesus' day, there's rabbis who would go through a lot of schooling, a lot of teaching, a lot of just learning. And so back then, it was not unusual to have a guest rabbi come in. And so Jesus, he's grown up in that culture. So this would not be an unusual thing to have happen here. All right, and so Jesus goes, he assumes the pulpit, if you will, and um, says, and immediately on the Sabbath, he uh, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And I just want to note that if you take notes in the Bible, immediately, it's, it's a priority, it's emphasized, where it's like, this isn't just like, oh, I came upon church and I thought I'd go. It's, it was intentional. Church is essential and church should be a priority. So if you guys are taking notes, jot those things down. Is church a priority for you in your life? All right. Um, what I love about Jesus is he didn't seem to wait for the disciples to go through an on-ramp class or join a small group and then we'll get you into church and fishing for men. Jesus is just like, hey, we're going to Capernaum and we're going to church. He just gets right in there. If you want to be fishers of people, you got to go where the people are. So they enter church. Jesus, the guest teacher of that day, um, what a day that would be. He doesn't get any better than that. In verse 22, it says, And they were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So they were astonished. They go to church, right? It's like they show up. The people that are there are expecting a teaching of some sort. So why would they be astonished all of a sudden that Jesus is teaching? Well, my thought is, again, it's a church in the world, not necessarily a good, godly uh, church. This is just my thoughts again. So when Jesus, I mean, first off, he is God. So again, it doesn't get any better than that. So anybody would be astonished at any point um, if Jesus just taught. So it doesn't get better than Jesus teaching. But two, maybe for the first time they heard the truth of God's word, not watered down. Maybe for the first time they heard the truth of God's word in, in its entirety, not taken out of context in some way that God wants to bless you and wants to make your life all this. He's like, I mean, Jesus' first words when he said, um, when he goes into his ministry after he's baptized and after he's tempted, he goes into Capernaum and he says, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like, that's a pretty stern word. So maybe these people are just astonished, like, whoa, that was heavy. I, I wasn't expecting that today. Not used, not a sermon to make you feel good, but a sermon to tell you the truth. Now, I will say when looking for a church and where you're going to join and attend, I, it's, a good to, uh, it's good to have a good full-strength sermon, right? It's like, don't you guys like that? Like, I, that's why I love that we have technology, because we can listen to all these teachings. But the problem with this day and age in which we live, and I would say even probably for Capernaum back then, is that people would hear these teachings, right? You'd hear Jesus speaking. They're astonished. Oh my goodness, how can this guy say those things with authority? It's amazing. I've never heard such things. But then the problem is people will be astonished at the work of God and the Word of God, but then they'll leave the doors and they won't change anything. They won't change anything. And I would say that that's what we see with Capernaum. There's no evidence that they ever changed their ways and that they started living and serving God and praising Jesus. It's like they would hear the truth from Jesus' mouth, God, in the flesh, and they'd be astonished, but they would not do anything about it. They were astonished, and it says that because he taught as one who had authority, 
Jesus has authority, obviously, because he's God, right? And so when God speaks, like, that's the truth. Um, when Jesus or the Bible, the word of God speaks, it has the authority as a Christian, as a church. It's like when we, at the fervent church specifically, like, we are rooted in Scripture because this is the authority of our lives. It's like if the Bible says something is wrong or we need to change something or we should be living a certain way or, or whatever the case may be in Scripture, it's like we we honor the word before we honor like what the world thinks that we should do whether we should open our doors or close them we're going to look at scripture say well it says that we shouldn't neglect meeting together that we should have fellowship with one another that in this too it's like churches are closing their doors because they're afraid of the pandemic but the bible says is anyone among you sick well come to the elders so that they may lay hands on you and anoint you with oil that you may be healed how are you going to do that from technology? It's like, yeah, you can get on a Zoom call, but you can't get a hand laying on of, if you will, you know, like you can't get an, an anointing through a, a screen. It's not going to happen. And so I don't even know where I was going with that, but that was, <laughs> oh man, I just want to keep going on that. But sorry guys, I just really had a brain fart. The authority, that's what I was talking about, right? Um, where was I going with that? I don't know. It was just the Lord. He wanted to tell you something, maybe. I don't know. But anyways, he had authority, and Jesus is the one who, who has the authority. The Bible is the authority. That's what we're talking about. And if the state or whoever tells us we can't close or have to close our doors, we're going to honor God. That's where I was going with that. Okay, good. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So if the Bible says it, we believe it. And that might seem weird to some people, but then the people, when they teach the Word of God, they're going to say, well, who gave you the authority to say those things, right? You listen to a strong teaching where they rebuke your sin and they call it out. Say, well, who gave you authority? And I would say this, this would be my answer. Well, God did. Jesus did. Matthew 28, write it down for homework. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. He says, therefore, go into all nations and make disciples of them. And he says, in teaching them, essentially, the things that I taught you. Jesus is like, I'm giving you authority because I have authority. Now go out there and teach people the things I taught you. So they, these people right here, they're astonished. They never heard anything like this. It was new to them. Maybe it was a wake-up call. Like, wow, man, we've been, we've been really shallow in the gospel. The rabbis back then, they would, they would guest teach for people, but the thing that I've kind of learned through some of my studying is just they would reference and kind of honor and respect past rabbis, people who have either uh, maybe retired or they died, and they would bring up their word. It'd be like me saying, oh, Charles Spurgeon said this, like he's a, a guy, he's a notable figure. And You know what I mean? Like you throw in a Spurgeon quote, it's just like, ooh, man, it's a good sermon, right? But it's like Spurgeon is not God. And so these people, the rabbis, they would bring the word, but they would reference and quote all these other rabbis. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes. He's not quoting nobody except for himself because he's God. And all of a sudden it's, it's powerful. And so that's what's going on there. Mark uh, 1, 23, moving on to the next verse there. Um, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So 
what we see here says, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. What that is is a demon-possessed man, okay? Just notice that there was a demon-possessed man in church, okay? Like, just imagine that. Just think about, like, if there was a demon-possessed person right here, that was happening while Jesus was teaching, okay? Talk about a distraction, maybe, Okay, and I know at the church I came from, like, like they were very, like, keep distractions down to a minimum. So, like, if everybody was sitting down and you wanted to stand up and raise your hand and say, hallelujah, that was one of those things, like, sir, could you uh, quiet down? Uh, we don't want to be a distraction. I'm just being honest. That was really, the, that's the way it was there at the church, and I don't hate them for it. That's just how they did church. But here, it's like Jesus has a demon-possessed man sitting in the, the pews somewhere, maybe front row, maybe back row, but we don't know, but we can be sure of this, that it probably was very noticeable. It wasn't like this, oh, like, did you notice that guy? No, I didn't notice it. It was probably like everybody in the sermon probably realized that this is going on. So then it says, and he cried out, this is the demon, says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You got to take that in. This series we're in is Jesus Verified. Like we've looked at things that have verified Jesus. It's like Mark, a man, is verifying Jesus just simply by writing down this account. John the Baptist verifies Jesus saying, that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Father speaks down and says, this is my beloved Son whom I'm well pleased. It's like, believe in Him, right? The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. We got so much stuff verifying Jesus. And here right now, guys, we have demons verifying Jesus. That's a big deal. When your enemy confirms that you are who you say you are, that's a pretty big deal, right? It's like when someone who hates you and is opposed to you is like, yeah, but they're the real deal. Like that's, you should, we should believe it. Demons verifying Jesus. You, you are the Holy One of God. They're, they're crying out. They're screaming His praise. There's an instance in Luke chapter 19 where it's actually the triumphal entry and Jesus is he's coming in. It's the week before He's going to be crucified and everybody's actually praising Him. They're bowing down. They're putting their, their coats and stuff on the ground. And they're, they're saying, Hosanna. All these good things. Waving palm branches. They're praising Jesus. And then the Pharisees come and they say, Jesus, like, can you make your disciples be quiet? Like, calm down. And Jesus says, even if they're silent, these stones will cry out. Like even the rocks are going to cry out. See, creation screams God's praise. And here in this text, like we have demons screaming God's praise, which is weird, but he's like, you're the Holy One of God. Like how, I don't know, it's just mind-blowing to me. Like if they didn't want people to believe in Jesus, maybe they shouldn't have said that. I know who you are, Jesus. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. You know, like if I was a demon, that would have been my thought process. I'm not going to go and proclaim you as the Savior of the world, but that's what's happening. And we should take note of that. Verse 25, we read it, I I believe. uh, He says, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Um, Verse 26, it says, and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Again, just imagine that in church service. What a distraction. Man, it's like, but, but notice, a demon-possessed man's in church, and Jesus doesn't rebuke the man and say, you get out of here. He says to the demon, demon, you, you be quiet and you come out of him. I think that's important to note. As a church, as a church plant, I've said it before, we want to be accepting of all people. We want, I mean, I don't necessarily want a demon-possessed man to come in through this door, but I want to say this, that if they ever did, I want to be like, yeah, you 
you can sit here, oh, Lord, help us. You know what I mean? But like, I always want to be like, hey, this is a place where all people can come. It's like Jesus doesn't kick them out. Why would we? And so Jesus addresses these things, and he doesn't call the security team. Security, we need to get this guy out. He's crazy, mumbling, screaming things. Can we get him out of here? No, he addresses his need. He ministers to him, and, and he's, we could say probably stops mid-sermon and says, okay, you've got a problem? It's like, be silent. Come out of him. And then it happens, right? How amazing is that? Again, church service going on. So again, for us, like as the fervent church, we want to be a church that accepts everybody, the good, the bad, the ugly, the crazy, whatever. And we want to just be like, come on in. But we want to, you got to understand this, that Jesus didn't accept him in for him to stay the same. See, I think there would have been a point where it's like Jesus has this guy in here, but if for whatever reason he didn't want to give up the demons, like you can't really argue with the Lord God Almighty, but if he didn't, I believe there would have been a time where it's like, okay, like you don't want deliverance, then you got to go. There's scripture that talks about, it's like where we should be welcoming of people, but there is a line that talks about warn someone once, warn them twice, and on the third time after that, have nothing to do with them. It says, cast out the wicked from among you. So Jesus is like, yeah, come on in as you are, but Jesus doesn't want you to stay as you are. He wants you to be transformed into new life, into his image. And so I just love that, that picture there where it's just like, man, he heals this demon-possessed man, casts him out. Verse uh, 27. Verse 27. He says, and they were all amazed, as would we be, right? They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And so they were all amazed. They'd never seen such things. They witnessed the power of God. And I mean, i got to say this. It's like when you witness something, a work of God, it's kind of hard to keep it to yourself, right? Like, you can't help but tell other people about it. And so, but did you catch what happened here is that he, he spoke to the demon said, be, be quiet, come out of him, and it happened. Jesus didn't physically go do something. And, and that's what I want to emphasize right now tonight. The importance of church is because we, are, we put a high reverence and honor and respect on God's word because there is power in it. When Jesus speaks, things happen. When God speaks, we've seen it in Genesis, as life happens, earths are formed. Creation happens, right? Life is formed. Things that weren't become things that are. It's just amazing. People who are dead are brought to life. People in this instance who are demon-possessed are set free. And that's why it's important when going to a church or looking for a church, make sure that you, they're rooted in Scripture, in God's Word, where it's like this, the sermon is wrapped around God's Word and the idea in the text, not someone else's Word. Me and my wife, we, when we first moved out here, we visited a couple of churches in the area, and there was one church um, in particular, and, and it could have just been the weekend we were there, but it's like, they, they, well, they started out the sermon, and, and mind you, this is COVID-19 season, right? It's like, it might have been April or June, May or June, I don't know, but kind of early on, right? But anyways, we hadn't been to church since we moved here, like March 9th or something like that. It was the last day we were at church. Hadn't been to church in three months, and I told my wife this. I said, I don't think or the last time I wasn't at church for three months, it was because I was getting drunk and high and like partying, right? It's like, so since I made a commitment to Jesus, I've been at church. So it was very weird. 
So when we had an opportunity to go to church, we go there, the pastor comes up there and he gives, he's like, I got a word for you today. You know, and me and my wife were excited. Like, yes, like a word. We need a word. It's been three months, Lord. Please speak. And then he comes up and he doesn't quote anything from Scripture. He has like his own little clever line of a couple of words. And he says that. And this is the word. And then he goes on to just emphasize his word, his idea of what was going on. And he maybe read one or two Bible verses. And so at the end of this thing, I'm like, all I got were your thoughts. Like that had nothing to do with really anything. And it's like, I want God's Word. I want a sermon that's just so focused on God's Word because there's power in God's Word, not in our Word. You know what I'm saying? And so that's why it's important to just go to a church, a place where we can get God's Word. And I hope that you've noticed that like, for us, like we go through Scripture and we're, trying, we're digging in, going deep. And so they questioned. They didn't understand. What's this? What is this teaching? What is this happening? I've never seen anything like this. And I just want you to know that it's okay to not understand everything that's going on. If God does some type of miracle or some kind of work in or around your life or in someone else's life, and you're like, how can that be? That's okay. We don't need to understand everything, but understand that God is above everything. And so he can do anything. And at the end of the day, we're like, okay, well, that's what he did, and this must be part of his, his plan for redemption. And so, verse 28, we saw it's basically Jesus' fame spread everywhere, right? It says at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So people are telling people um, about Jesus. Verse 29 says, and immediately he left the synagogue. And again, just notice the word immediately that going on there. It's like it's an urgency. Jesus is on the move. It says, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. So this is where we get my sermon title. It's like, Jesus goes to church and he makes an emphasis, a priority about it. He goes there, he, he teaches, he brings, welcomes in whoever, demon-possessed man, welcome, but you're not welcome, get out of him, you know what I'm saying? And then he, after that, he goes home. Jesus goes to church, and Jesus goes home. And so that's very important to know this, is that Simon and Andrew is what happened here, right? He entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. It's like they brought him home with them. See, many of us will be like, okay, church is essential. Church is important on Sunday. You know, Jesus is important. The Bible is important on Sunday. It's like, no, that's not like, yes, that's true. But also every single other day of the week, every other part of your your work week, your home, family life, your friends. It's like Jesus is not just for Sundays. All right, Jesus is cool hearing from you today and we'll see you next week. Uh, It's like, no, Jesus is like, where are we going out to eat after church? What, what are we doing tomorrow? But so many times we leave him at the church, and so they bring him home. And so, and what we see is he, they bring him home in verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And so a couple things to note here, and this is totally somewhat sidetracking, but Simon's mother-in-law, okay, Simon is Peter. What this verse tells us is that Peter was married, okay? And I just need to note this, because I've heard people, there's been a, there was one instance in my um, pastoring at the old church I was at, a guy came up to me, said that I, I, I want to divorce my wife, because I just feel like, like, basically he took the like, hey, you need to abandon yourself, and you need to pick up your cross, die daily, and follow me as I need to divorce my wife, be single, so that I can go out and be a, a uh, 
a monk for Jesus. I don't know, right? It's like, and this was a real story. I'm not joking it. So he told me that, and I said, dude, like, you know that the Bible says that God hates divorce, right? It's like God, God brought you together. The Bible says that, therefore, what God has brought together, let no one separate. Obviously, I think if there's, Jesus tells us, right, there is grounds for divorce, but it's like just because you feel like it, and it's like, well, I, I, I'd be better off on my own. It's like, no, it's like, see, Simon left everything. It said that he left everything and followed Jesus, but note this, except his wife. I think that's good. I think that's, that's worthy of noting, because I, guys out there, they'll take the scripture so hardcore, like, I need to divorce my wife or leave my husband. That's not, not what he's saying here. So just note that. It's like he comes to their house, sees Simon's mother-in-law, and it says they saw that um, she was ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And that's another thing we need to understand. Immediately, with urgency. They didn't wait till next Sunday to bring this prayer request to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, my mother-in-law is sick. Can you pray for her? No, they immediately. You need to know that in your life here today is like that Jesus is readily, immediately available to where it's not like, well, I need to get to a pastor or I need to get to church or I need to whatever and wait so long. It's like, no, right now you can enter into prayer with Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. Like because Jesus died, he resurrected, he's making a place for us. He said, it's going to be better for you if I leave than if I stay because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit for everybody. And he's, he's going to uh, baptize you in truth with fire, right? And so we have that available. And so the point that I see in this is just they, they didn't wait. They told him about her and they told Jesus about her because, and they were able to do that because they invited him home. Because they were close. Imagine if they just left him at church, said, all right, Jesus has been good. Church was a little crazy today. Demon-possessed man. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it. Maybe we'll be back next week. It's like, if they would have just left him there, then they wouldn't have seen what we're going to see. We didn't even read it yet, but she gets healed. So, spoiler alert. Um, but anyway, so it says, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Again, just the emphasis on immediately. I just want to urge you, don't wait to intercede on behalf of people. Intercede on behalf of people. What that means is pray for people. You see someone hurting, sick, going through a hard time, they ask for prayer, do it now. Don't wait till your schedule opens up. Come before the Lord. So it says, they told him about her, verse 31, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. So she was sick, Jesus came into the picture. They're like, Jesus, come home with us, right? It's like, oh, my mother-in-law's sick. And then Jesus heals her on behalf of their request, essentially. And and so I want you to understand, it's like, don't ever think that prayer is a waste of time or that it's not working. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. And it works. And so she was healed, and I just want you to note this, is she was healed... And then she began to serve them. And I love this because it's just a picture of the gospel in our lives. We are sick, sick with sin, a disease that's going to kill every single person, right? No to mankind. And so we have sin, but Jesus came. He's the solution. He's, he's the uh, antidote, if you will. If we would repent and believe in Jesus and follow him, we will be saved. And so we see this picture. It's just such a simple but powerful picture where it's like she's healed and then she serves. 
That's what we should do. It's like we're healed, we're set free, we believe in Jesus, and then we serve. We don't serve to try to be set free or to be healed. We serve because Jesus done something in our life already. And I just love the simple picture, the simplicity of that, where it's like Jesus moved, and then their response is, I'm going to serve you. Now, we don't know what she did, but she served them. And then verse 32 That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Because they knew him. So people heard about Jesus, right? I mean, how could they not? You're seeing these miracles happen, and they saw what he could do. So people heard about him, and then they started to come to him. But what I wanted to note, and I think we need to understand this, is that these people, they come to Jesus because of what they can get from Jesus. They can get a healing. They can get a blessing. See, it's very very them-centered. See, we don't come to Jesus because, oh, I want something. We come to Jesus, and we should anyways, because of who he is. So what we see in this text is like, people are coming Because they're like, oh, Jesus is dishing out healings and miracles by the hundreds, thousands maybe. It's like, yeah, I want some of that. Right? Don't have you ever seen people like that? Maybe you've been like that before. We're like, I want to come to church because all my friends' lives seem to be getting better. Right? They started going to church and then they got a sweet job offer. So maybe if I go to church, I'll get a good job offer. My friend went to church and he found a spouse. Maybe if I go to church, maybe I could find a spouse. You see, that's what happens, though, for real. That's like what people think. Like, I'm going to come to church because of what I can get rather than coming to church for who he is. If he gives a blessing, awesome, good, praise God. But if he doesn't, still, praise God. He is our creator, our maker, our Lord, our Savior. He's worthy. There's an instance in John chapter 6, and I thought about putting it on to the screens, but it's so long. Uh, Don't even worry, Caleb. Caleb's like looking it up right now. John chapter 6. It's, a, it's one of the longer chapters in John, but there's a verse in there that's very noteworthy, and it's easy to remember. John chapter 6, verse 66. So 666, the mark of the beast, and that's why it's easy. But it's interesting because Jesus, at the beginning of chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000, right? It's like people are hungry. The disciples are like, Jesus, send them home to get something to eat. And Jesus is like, no, you give them something to eat. And then they're like, but we don't have anything. Uh, But there's this little boy, he has five loaves and two fish. And so Jesus takes that, he blesses it. And you know the story, he feeds, I mean, scholars would say he fed way more than 5,000 people, but 5,000 people conservatively fed them. All right, and then he goes on and after the meal's over and he talks about, well, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. He's like, he who wants to come to the Father, like, they got to have me. Like, I am the bread of life. I am eternal life is essentially what he, he goes on saying. And he says this, and I did jot it down. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. And look, check it out. This is what Jesus says about himself. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 
That's in John chapter 6. Go look it up for yourselves when people say, he didn't claim to be God. It's like, no, he's claiming, like, I am, I am life. And so he goes from feeding them physically to trying to tell them, like, hey, that's good and all, but you need, you need the real bread of life. You need me. And if you don't have me, you're not getting in. And then it says the disciples kind of more or less marveled at this. They were astonished at this teaching. Oh, man, this is a strong teaching. And it's, again, very similar to our text. And then it says in John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, After this, Jesus teaching all these things, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. For me, I'm like, why? It's because they weren't getting blessings anymore. It's because Jesus is like, hey, it's not about the physical food that I'm blessing and multiplying. It's about me. And then when people realize all of a sudden that it's about Jesus, they're like, well, I just wanted some bread. I didn't want, I didn't come for eternal life. And so people hear this teaching and whatnot, and they're like, okay, I'm over it, and they leave. And I believe that's kind of what's happening here. It's like Jesus healed many in Mark chapter 1. Many people are starting to come to Jesus for what they can get, not because of who they are. And they're setting themselves up for failure. And I believe that that's why Jesus, not only in this instance, but he heals other people. He says, and see to it that you don't tell anybody. And isn't that the weirdest thing? Like, why would Jesus say, don't tell anybody that I healed you? Don't show anybody this. And I really believe it's because Jesus, this is my thoughts. You can't, it's not scripture, but this is my thought on it. It's just because Jesus knows, like, I don't want people coming to me for what I can give them. I want them to come to me for who I am. Like, don't tell people that I healed you. But the thing that we can take from this that we can know about Jesus is even if you come to him, he, he still accepts them. It's nowhere in there to say, oh, well, it's too late now and Jesus needs to go to bed now, come back tomorrow. It says people were coming from all over the place. It said, and he healed, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He didn't turn people away. Well, you have pre-existing conditions of demonic possession and we can't accept you today. He's just, come on in. So I love that about Jesus, but I think the thing is, is like he doesn't want people to get that misconception of coming to him for what they can get. He wants them and us to come to him for who he is. In conclusion tonight, I, two main points that I want us to note is, again, Jesus went to church. Church is essential Jesus in his ministry and life and the Bible, anything we see Jesus do, he, he is essentially modeling for us. Baptism in or Mark chapter 1, the first part of it. Why was Jesus baptized? Well, because he wants us to be baptized, right? It's like, why was he tempted? Because he knows that we're going to be tempted, and so he wants to relate with us, right? Why does he start his ministry? Because he wants you to start your ministry. And so, so even in this, it's like Jesus went to church, because he wants you to go to church. And it's not about religious practice, it's about a relationship. Again, church is relational. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says this, and I quoted it earlier, but it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Like what that verse is saying is like, like, more time goes by, the more we should be meeting together. 
The more we should be meeting together. Church is essential. It's necessary. We need it. And then the last thing, number two, to take away tonight is Jesus comes home. And really because he was invited home. Simon and Andrew, they're like, like probably like, let's go home. Simon's wife, man, she's an awesome cook. Jesus, you're going to love her. This is going to be amazing, right? It's like they come home. And Jesus comes home with them. They find out that she's sick. And she wouldn't have been healed had they left her at church, right? So again, bringing Jesus home. He doesn't, he's not just for Sunday service. Jesus is for everybody. And Jesus is for everything. Jesus is for life, right? He's not just for church. He's for every day. And so and as we, as we uh, walk with Jesus and we come to church to hear about him, I want you to know it's like, take what you hear tonight, take it home with you. Apply it to your lives this week. Read through this scripture, like dig deeper into it. It's like pour into prayer, pour into fellowship. One of the things I was telling the team in the next, hopefully in the new year, that I would like to add to our church and Right now, for me, it just seems impossible, but with God, all things are possible, right? So I'm holding on to that promise. But I want to add like a midweek fellowship or a men's fellowship or women's fellowship where we can come together in the middle of the week and just like continue this stuff and where we can talk about real issues and things going on in our life, ask for prayer and lay hands on one another. Because on Sundays, to be honest, it just feels kind of rushed. And now with daylight savings time, it's like you feel like it's midnight out. Look at that. Look, at it. it's pitch black. It's crazy. Uh, in Tucson, the sun would still be up a little bit. Isn't that the weirdest thing? This is my first daylight savings time experience as well, so it's throwing me for a loop. Uh, but anyways, Jesus went to church. Jesus comes home, and you should too. Bring Jesus home, that is, not go home. Uh, anyways, let's stay on me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who teaches us and guides us through Scripture, that you shine a light on Scripture, showing us what it is that you mean and what, uh, just what great depth your text has, Lord. It's just amazing, Lord. It's exciting. So, Lord, I pray that uh, you would just continue to stir up in us, Lord, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, Lord, that we would want to know you more and that that we would want to know your word more. God, give us a desire to read, Lord, for you say that you are the bread of life, God, and so this is the easiest way to eat is to read your word, God. And so pray that you give us a desire for that, Lord. Give us a heart for the church, Lord, for the church is your bride, God. So give us a heart for church. Help us to be a part of the church and not to neglect it or any of that stuff, Lord. And help us to also not be ashamed or afraid to bring you home or bring you into our lives outside of church. God, so this week we pray that you would just do some things in our lives, in our hearts, that we wouldn't come to you for what we can get, but that we would come to you because of who you are. You are good, you're holy, you're set apart, Lord, and uh, we just thank you. Thank you for your example. Thank you for just everything and help us to live fervently for you so that we may know you more and so that others may know you as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And we said, amen.